Section 7 of Geronimo's Story of His Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Geronimo's Story of His Life by Geronimo. Transcribed by S. M. Barrett and translated by Asa Deklugi. Section 7 the white men part three after some time we left casoda and soon were reunited with our tribe in the sierra de atunes mountains contrary to our expectations the united states soldiers had not left the mountains in mexico and were soon trailing us and skirmishing with us almost every day four or five times they surprised our camp one time they surprised us about nine o'clock in the morning and captured all our horses, nineteen in number, and secured our store of dried meats. We also lost three Indians in this encounter. About the middle of the afternoon of the same day, we attacked them from the rear as they were passing through a prairie, killed one soldier, but lost none ourselves. In this skirmish we recovered all our horses except three that belonged to me, the three horses that we did not recover were the best riding horses we had. Soon after this we made a treaty with the Mexican troops. They told us that the United States troops were the real cause of these wars, and agreed not to fight any more with us, provided we would return to the United States. This we agreed to do, and resumed our march, expecting to try to make a treaty with the United States soldiers, and return to Arizona there seemed to be no other course to pursue. Soon after this, scouts from Captain Lawton's troops told us that he wished to make a treaty with us, but I knew that General Miles was the chief of the American troops, and I decided to treat with him. We continued to move our camp northward, and the American troops also moved northward, keeping at no great distance from us, but not attacking us. I sent my brother Porico, White Horse, with Mr. George Rayton on to Fort Bowie to see General Miles, and to tell him that we wished to return to Arizona. But before these messengers returned, I met two Indian scouts, Cayeta, a Chaconan Apache, and Martin, a Netnai Apache. They were serving as scouts for Captain Lawton's troops. They told me that General Miles had come, and had sent them to ask me to meet him. So I went to the camp of the United States troops to meet General Miles. When I arrived at their camp, I went directly to General Miles and told him how I had been wronged and that I wanted to return to the United States with my people as we wished to see our families who had been captured and taken away from us. General Miles said to me, The President of the United States has sent me to speak to you. He has heard of your trouble with the white men and says that if you will agree to a few words of treaty, we need have no more trouble. Geronimo, if you will agree to a few words of treaty, all will be satisfactorily arranged. So General Miles told me how we could be brothers to each other. We raised our hands to heaven and said that the treaty was not to be broken. We took an oath not to do any wrong to each other or to scheme against each other. Then he talked with me for a long time and told me what he would do for me in the future if I would agree to the treaty. 
I did not greatly believe General Miles, but because the President of the United States had sent me word, I agreed to make the treaty and to keep it. Then I asked General Miles what the treaty would be. General Miles said to me, I will take you under government protection. I will build you a house. I will fence you much land. I will give you cattle, horses, mules, and farming implements. You will be furnished with men to work the farm, for you yourself will not have to work. In the fall I will send you blankets and clothing, so that you will not suffer from cold in the winter time. There is plenty of timber, water, and grass in the land to which I will send you. You will live with your tribe and with your family. If you agree to this treaty, you shall see your family within five days. I said to General Miles, All the officers that have been in charge of the Indians have talked that way, and it sounds like a story to me. I hardly believe you. He said, This time it is the truth. I said, General Miles, I do not know the laws of the white man, nor of this new country where you are to send me, and I might break their laws. He said, While I live, you will not be arrested. Then I agreed to make the treaty. Since I have been a prisoner of war, I have been arrested and placed in the guardhouse twice for drinking whiskey. We stood between his troopers and my warriors. We placed a large stone on the blanket before us. Our treaty was made by this stone, and it was to last until the stone should crumble to dust. So we made the treaty and bound each other with an oath. I do not believe that I have ever violated that treaty, but General Miles never fulfilled his promises. When we made the treaty, General Miles said to me, My brother, you have in your mind how you are going to kill men and other thoughts of war. I want you to put that out of your mind and change your thoughts to peace. Then I agreed and gave up my arms. I said, I will quit the warpath and live at peace hereafter. Then General Miles swept a spot of ground clear with his hand and said, Your past deeds shall be wiped out like this, and you will start a new life. Chapter 18 Surrender of Geronimo On February 11, 1887, the Senate passed the following resolution. Resolved that the Secretary of War be directed to communicate to the Senate all dispatches of General Miles referring to the surrender of Geronimo, and all instructions given to and correspondence with General Miles in reference to the same. These papers are published in the Senate Executive Documents, Second Session, 49th Congress, 1886-1887, Volume 2, Numbers 111 to 125. For an exhaustive account of the conditions of Geronimo's surrender, the reader is referred to that document. But this chapter is given to show briefly the terms of surrender and corroborate, at least in part, the statements made by Geronimo. Upon assuming command of the Department of Arizona, General Nelson A. Miles was directed by the War Department to use most vigorous operations for the destruction or capture of the hostile Apaches. 
The following extracts are from instructions issued April 20, 1886, for the information and guidance of troops serving in the southern portion of Arizona and New Mexico. Quote, the chief object of the troops will be to capture or destroy any band of hostile Apache Indians found in this section of country, and to this end the most vigorous and persistent efforts will be required of all officers and soldiers until the object is accomplished. A sufficient number of reliable Indians will be used as auxiliaries to discover any signs of hostile Indians and as trailers. To avoid any advantage the Indians may have by a relay of horses, where a troop or squadron commander is near the hostile Indians, he will be justified in dismounting one half of his command and selecting the lightest and best riders to make pursuit by the most vigorous forced marches until the strength of all animals of his command shall have been exhausted. End quote. The following telegrams show the efforts of the United States troops and the cooperation of Mexican troops under Governor Torres. Headquarters, Division of the Pacific, Presidio of San Francisco, California, July twenty second, 1886. Adjutant General, Washington, D.C. The following telegram just received from General Miles. Captain Lawton reports through Colonel Royal, commanding at Fort Huachuca, that his camp surprised Geronimo's camp on Yonge River, about 130 miles south and east of Campos, Sonora, or nearly 300 miles south of Mexican boundary, capturing all the Indian property, including hundreds of pounds of dried meat and 19 riding animals. This is the fifth time within three months in which the Indians have been surprised by the troops. While the results have not been decisive, yet it has given encouragement to the troops and has reduced the numbers and strength of the Indians and given them a feeling of insecurity even in the remote and almost inaccessible mountains of old Mexico. In absence of division commander, C. McKeever, assistant adjutant general. End of dispatch. Another dispatch. Headquarters, Division of the Pacific, Presidio of San Francisco, California, August 19, 1886. Adjutant General, Washington, D.C., following received from General Miles, dated 18th. Dispatches today from Governor Torres, dated Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico, from Colonels Forsyth and Beaumont, commanding Huachuca and Bowie districts, confirms the following. Geronimo, with 40 Indians, is endeavoring to make terms of peace with Mexican authorities of Fronteras District. One of our scouts, in returning to Fort Huachuca from Lawton's command, met him, Naichi, and 13 other Indians on their way to Fronteras, had a long conversation with them. They said they wanted to make peace and looked worn and hungry. Geronimo carried his right arm in a sling, bandaged. The splendid work of the troops is evidently having good effect. Should hostiles not surrender to the Mexican authorities, Lawton's command is south of them, and Wilder, with G and M troops, 4th Cavalry, moved south to Fronteras and will be there by 20th. Lieutenant Lockett, with an effective command, will be in good position tomorrow near Guadalupe Canyon in Cajon Bonito Mountains. On the 11th, I had a very satisfactory interview with Governor Torres. 
the Mexican officials are acting in concert with ours. O. O. Howard, Major General. End of Dispatch. General O. O. Howard telegraphed from Presidio, San Francisco, California, September 24, 1886, as follows. The 6th of September, General Miles reports the hostile Apaches made overtures of surrender through Lieutenant Gatewood to Captain Lawton. They desired certain terms and sent two messengers to me, Miles. They were informed that they must surrender as prisoners of war to troops in the field. They promised to surrender to me in person, and for eleven days Captain Lawton's command moved north, Geronimo and Naichi moving parallel and frequently camping near it. At Skeleton Canyon they halted, saying that they desired to see me, Miles, before surrendering. End of telegram. After Miles' arrival, he reports as follows, quote, Geronimo came from his mountain camp amid the rocks and said he was willing to surrender. He was told that they could surrender as prisoners of war, that it was not the way of officers of the army to kill their enemies who laid down their arms. Naichi was wild and suspicious and evidently feared treachery. He knew that the once noted leader, Mangus Colorado, had years ago been foully murdered after he had surrendered, and the last hereditary chief of the hostile Apaches hesitated to place himself in the hands of the palefaces. Continuing his report, General Howard says, I believed at first from official reports that the surrender was unconditional, except that the troops themselves would not kill the hostiles. Now, from General Miles's dispatches, and from his annual report, forwarded on the 21st instant by mail, the conditions are plain. First, that the lives of all the Indians should be spared. Second, that they should be sent to Fort Marion, Florida, where their tribe, including their families, had already been ordered. D.S. Stanley, Brigadier General, telegraphs from San Antonio, Texas, October 22, 1886, as follows. Geronimo and Naichi requested an interview with me when they first ascertained that they were to leave here, and in talking to them, I told them the exact disposition that was to be made of them. They regarded the separation of themselves from their families as a violation of the terms of their treaty of surrender, by which they had been guaranteed in the most positive manner conceivable to their minds that they should be united with their families at Fort Marion. There were present at the talk they had with me Major J.P. Wright, Surgeon, United States Army, Captain J.G. Balance, Acting Judge Advocate, United States Army, George Rayton, the Interpreter, Naichi, and Geronimo. The Indians were separated from their families at this place. The women, children, and the two scouts were placed in a separate car before they left. In an interview with me, they stated the following incident, which they regard as an essential part of their treaty of surrender, and which took place at Skeleton Canyon before they had, as a band, made up their minds to surrender, and before any of them, except perhaps Geronimo, had given up their arms, and when they were still fully able to escape and defend themselves. General Miles said to them, You go with me to Fort Bowie, and at a certain time you will go to see your relatives in Florida. After they went to Fort Bowie, he reassured them that they would see their relatives in Florida in four and a half or five days. 
While at Skeleton Canyon, General Miles said to them, I have come to have a talk with you. The conversation was interpreted from English into Spanish and from Spanish into Apache and vice versa. The interpreting from English into Spanish was done by a man by the name of Nelson. The interpreting from Spanish into Apache was done by Jose Maria Yasques. Jose Maria Montoya was also present, but he did not do any of the interpreting. Dr. Wood, United States Army, and Lieutenant Clay, 10th Infantry, were present. General Miles drew a line on the ground and said, This represents the ocean. And, putting a small rock beside the line, he said, This represents the place where Chihuahua is with his band. He then picked up another stone and placed it a short distance from the first and said, This represents you, Geronimo. He then picked up a third stone and placed it a little distance from the others and said, This represents the Indians at Camp Apache. The president wants to take you and put you with Chihuahua. He then picked up the stone which represented Geronimo and his band and put it beside the one which represented Chihuahua at Fort Marion. After doing this, he picked up the stone which represented the Indians at Camp Apache and placed it beside the other two stones which represented Geronimo and Chihuahua at Fort Marion and said, That is what the President wants to do. Get all of you together. After their arrival at Fort Bowie, General Miles said to them, From now on we want to begin a new life. And holding up one of his hands with the palm open and horizontal, he marked lines across it with the finger of the other hand and said, pointing to his open palm, This represents the past. It is all covered with hollows and ridges. Then, rubbing his other palm over it, he said, That represents the wiping out of the past, which will be considered smooth and forgotten. The interpreter, Rayton, says that he was present and heard this conversation. The Indians say that Captain Thompson, 4th Cavalry, was also present. Nietzsche said that Captain Thompson, who was the acting assistant adjutant general, Department of Arizona, told him at his house in Fort Bowie, Don't be afraid. No harm shall come to you. You will go to your friends all right. He also told him that Fort Marion is not a very large place and is not probably large enough for all and that probably in six months or so you will be put in a larger place where you can do better. He told them the same thing when they took their departure in the cars from Fort Bowie. The idea that they had of the treaty of surrender given in this letter is forwarded at their desire, and while not desiring to comment on the matter, I feel compelled to say that my knowledge of the Indian character and the experience I have had with Indians of all kinds and the corroborating circumstances and facts that have been brought to my notice in this particular case convince me that the foregoing statement of Nietzsche and Geronimo is substantially correct. End quote. Extract from the Annual Report, 1886, of the Division of the Pacific, commanded by Major General O. O. Howard, U.S. Army. Headquarters, Division of the Pacific, Presidio of San Francisco, California, September 17, 1886, Adjutant General, U.S. Army, Washington, D.C. General, I have the honor to submit the following report upon military operations and conditions of the Division of the Pacific for the information of the Lieutenant General.
and to make some suggestions for his consideration. On the 17th of May, 1885, a party of about 50 of the Chiricahua prisoners, headed by Geronimo, Naichi, and other chiefs, escaped from the White Mountain Reserve in Arizona, and entered upon a career of murder and robbery unparalleled in the history of Indian raids. Since then, and up to the time of my assuming command of this division, they had been pursued by troops with varying success. After the assassination of Captain Crawford on January 11th by the Mexicans, the hostiles asked for a, quotes, talk, and finally had a conference on March 25th, 26th, and 27th with General Crook in the canyon of Los Embudos, 25 miles south of San Bernardino, Mexico, on which date it was arranged that they should be conducted by Lieutenant Manus with his battalion of scouts to Fort Bowie, Arizona. The march commenced on the morning of March 28th and proceeded until the night of the 29th, when, becoming excited with fears of possible punishment, Geronimo and Naichi, with twenty men, fourteen women, and two boys, stampeded to the hills. Lieutenant Manus immediately pursued, but without success. Simultaneously with my taking command of the division, Brigadier General Crook was relieved by Brigadier General Miles, who at once set out to complete the task commenced by his predecessor. Geronimo and his band were committing depredations, now in the United States and now in Mexico, and being separated into small parties, easily eluded the troops and carried on their work of murder and outrage. Early in May, General Miles organized the hostile field of operations into districts, each with its command of troops, with specific instructions to guard the water holes, to cover the entire ground by scouting parties, and give the hostiles no rest. An effective command under Captain Lawton, 4th Cavalry, was organized for a long pursuit. On May 3rd, Captain Labo, 10th Cavalry, had a fight with Geronimo's band 12 miles southwest of Santa Cruz in Mexico with a loss of one soldier killed and one wounded. After this fight, the Indians retreated southward, followed by three troops of cavalry. On May 12th, a serious fight of Mexican troops with the hostiles near Planchos, Mexico, resulted in a partial defeat of the Mexicans. On May 15th, Captain Hatfield's command engaged Geronimo's band in the Corona Mountains, suffering a loss of two killed and three wounded, and the loss of several horses and mules, the Indians losing several killed. On May 16th, Lieutenant Brown, 4th Cavalry, struck the hostiles near Buena Vista, Mexico, capturing several horses, rifles, and a quantity of ammunition. The usual series of outrages, with fatiguing chase by troops, continued until June 21st, when the Mexicans engaged the hostiles about 40 miles southeast of Magdalena, Mexico, and, after a stubborn fight, repulsed them. About the middle of August, Geronimo and his band were so reduced and harassed by the tireless pursuit of the soldiers that they made offer of surrender to the Mexicans, but without coming to terms. Their locality thus being definitely known, disposition of the troops was rapidly made to act in conjunction with the Mexicans to intercept Geronimo and force his surrender. On August 25th, Geronimo, when near Fronteras, Mexico, 
recognizing that he was pretty well surrounded and being out of ammunition and food made overtures of capitulation through lieutenant gatewood sixth cavalry to captain lawton he desired certain terms but was informed that a surrender as prisoner of war was all that would be accepted the indians then proceeded to the vicinity of captain lawton's command near skeleton canyon and sent word that they wished to see general miles on september third general miles arrived at lawton's camp and on september fourth Naichi, the son of cochise and the hereditary chief of the apaches with geronimo surrendered all the hostiles with the understanding it seems that they should be sent out of arizona i am not informed of the exact nature of this surrender at first deemed unconditional i am sir very respectfully your obedient servant o o howard major general united states army end of report statement of w t melton and darko oklahoma Quote, from eighteen eighty two to eighteen eighty seven i lived in southern arizona and was employed by the san simony cattle company in eighteen eighty six i was stationed in skeleton canyon about ten miles north of the boundary line between arizona and old mexico with j d pruitt it was our duty to ride the line south of our range and keep the cattle of the company from straying into old mexico one afternoon when returning from our ride we discovered an indian trail leading toward our camp we rode hurriedly out of the hills into a broad valley so that we could better discover any attacking parties of apaches and if assailed have at least a fighting chance for our lives we knew the apaches under geronimo were on the warpath but they were far down in old mexico however our knowledge of the indians led us to expect anything at any time to always be ready for the worst when we reached the valley we struck a cavalry trail also headed for our camp this was perplexing for neither the indians nor the soldiers seemed to have been riding fast and both trails led toward our camp in skeleton canyon this canyon was a natural route from old mexico to arizona and almost all bands of indians as well as detachments of united states troops passed and repassed through this valley when going to old mexico or returning therefrom but never before had two hostile bands passed through here at the same time and traveling in the same direction except when one fled and the other pursued what this could mean was a mystery to us could it be that the troops had not seen the indians were the redskins trying to head the troops off and attack them in their camp were the troops hunting for those indians could this be lawton's command could that be geronimo's band no it was impossible then who were these troops and what indians were those cautiously we rode to our camp and nailed on the door of our cabin was this notice be careful geronimo is nearby and has not yet surrendered captain lawton then we understood a short distance above our cabin we found the camp of the troops and we had just finished talking with captain lawton who advised us to remain in his camp rather than risk staying alone in our cabin when up rode the chief geronimo he was mounted on a blaze-faced white-stockinged dun horse he came directly to captain lawton and through an interpreter asked who we were and what we wanted 
As soon as the explanation was given, he nodded his approval and rode away. Pruitt and I rode away with him. We were well armed and well mounted, and Geronimo was well mounted, but so far as we could see, unarmed. I tried to talk with the chief, in English, but could not make him understand. Pruitt wanted to shoot him and said he could easily kill him the first shot, but I objected and succeeded in restraining him. While we were arguing, the chief rode silently between us, evidently feeling perfectly secure. All this time we had been riding in the direction of our horses that were grazing in the valley about a mile distant from our corral. When we came to a place about a half mile from Lawton's camp, where a spur of the mountain ran far out into the valley, Geronimo turned aside, saluted, said in fairly good Spanish, Adios, senores, and began to ascend a mountain path. Later we learned that he was going directly toward his camp far up among the rocks. We rode on, drove our horses back to the corral, and remained in our cabin all night, but were not molested by the Indians. The next day we killed three beeves for the Indians, and they were paid for by Captain Lawton. On the second day, two mounted Mexican scouts came to Lawton's camp. As soon as these Mexicans came in sight, the Indians seized their arms and vanished, as it were, among the rocks. Captain Lawton wrote an account of conditions and delivered it to the Mexicans, who withdrew. After they had gone and their mission had been explained to Geronimo, the Indians again returned to their camp and laid down their arms. On the next day, word reached camp that General Miles was approaching, and the Indians again armed and disappeared among the rocks. Many of the Apache squaws had field glasses and were stationed every day on prominent mountain peaks to keep a lookout. No one could approach their camp or Lawton's camp without being discovered by these spies. Soon after General Miles joined Lawton's command, Geronimo rode into camp unarmed and, dismounting, approached General Miles, shook hands with him, and then stood proudly before the officers waiting for General Miles to begin conversation with him. The interpreter said to Geronimo, General Miles is your friend. Geronimo said, I never saw him, but I have been in need of friends. Why has he not been with me? When this answer was interpreted, everybody laughed. After this there was no more formality, and without delay the discussion of the treaty was begun. All I remember distinctly of the treaty is that Geronimo and his band were not to be killed, but they were to be taken to their families. I remember this more distinctly because the Indians were so much pleased with this particular one of the terms of the treaty. Geronimo, Nietzsche, and a few others went on ahead with General Miles, but the main band of Indians left under the escort of Lawton's troops. The night before they left, a young squaw, daughter-in-law of Geronimo, gave birth to a child. The next morning the husband, Geronimo's son, carried the child, but the mother mounted her pony unaided and rode away unassisted, a prisoner of war under military escort. On the afternoon of the day of the treaty, Captain Lawton built a monument, about ten feet across and six feet high, of rough stones on the spot where the treaty was made. The next year some cowboys on a roundup camped at the place and tore down the monument to see what was in it. All they found was a bottle containing a piece of paper upon which was written the names of the officers who were with Lawton. After the Indians left, 
we found $150.25 in Mexican money hidden in a rat's nest near where the Indians had camped. About ten o'clock in the morning, after the Apaches and soldiers had gone away, twenty Pimos Indians, accompanied by one white man, surrounded our camp and demanded to know of Geronimo's whereabouts. We told them of the treaty, and they followed the trail on toward Fort Bowie. That afternoon, thinking all danger from Apaches past, my partner, Pruitt, went to ride the lines, and I was left in camp alone. I was pumping water by horsepower at the well when I saw three Indians rounding up our horses about half a mile away. They saw me, but did not disturb me, nor did I interfere with them. But as soon as they had driven that bunch of horses northward over the hills out of sight, I rode quickly off in another direction and drove another bunch of horses into the corral. The rest of the afternoon I stayed in camp, but saw no more Indians. The next day we rode over the hill in the direction these Indians had gone, and found that they had camped not three miles away. There were evidently several in the party, and they had kept scouts concealed near the top of the hill to watch me, and to shoot me from ambush had I followed them. This we knew because we saw behind some rocks at the crest of the hill in the loose soil the imprints left by the bodies of three warriors where they had been lying down in concealment. At their camp we found the head and hoofs of my favorite horse, Digger, a fine little sorrel pony, and knew that he had served them for dinner. We followed their trail far into old Mexico, but did not overtake them. We had been accustomed to say it was Geronimo's band whenever any depredation was committed, but this time we were not so positive. End quote. Note by S. M. Barrett we do not wish to express our own opinion, but to ask the reader whether, after having had the testimony of Apaches, soldiers, and civilians who knew the conditions of surrender, and after having examined carefully the testimony offered, it would be possible to conclude that Geronimo made an unconditional surrender. Before passing from this subject, it would be well to consider whether our government has treated these prisoners in strict accordance with the terms of the treaty made in Skeleton Canyon. End of section 7